You know, um, I went to seminary over in Rome, and uh, one of the extra duties that was often asked of us is whenever there was big pilgrimages from the Archdiocese of Baltimore coming over to Rome, we were often recruited to help on those pilgrimages. And I remember one year in particular, Cardinal Keeler came over with a big group, and he asked me to join them on a little trip to a place outside of Rome called Orvieto, and to have a very special mass there for the pilgrims. Orvieto is the birthplace of the Feast of Corpus Christi. You see, in the year 1263, there was a German priest who was struggling with his belief in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And so he went on a pilgrimage to Rome, and he was just outside of the town of Orvieto, Bolsano, and he was, he was praying the Mass, and during the consecration, the host began to bleed, and it bled onto the, to the corporal, the white cloth that is on top of the altar. Well, he kind of freaked out, like I guess we all would. And he ran up to Pope Urban IV, who happened to be staying at the cathedral in Orvieto. And the Pope asked to see the, the cloth. He enshrined it in the cathedral. And then he declared the new feast of Corpus Christi, the body of Christ. And then he went to talk to St. Thomas Aquinas, who was around at the time. And he said, St. Thomas, I need you to write some, some new prayers. And I need you to write a new song, a beautiful song, to commemorate this occasion. And so all of that is just background as to why we were going up to Orvieto. And now we were all set for the Mass. We were about ready to walk into the church, and Cardinal Keeler all of a sudden got a great idea. He said, we should sing that famous song that Thomas Aquinas wrote in this cathedral on this special occasion. And just like us today, there was no organist or no choir or anything like it. And I thought, that is a great idea, Cardinal Keeler. And then he said, Matthew, you will sing that song for us. <laughs> and then he was like, let's go. And we started walking in for the procession. And I have never prayed more in a mass than that mass. And my main intention was, Lord, please let Cardinal Keeler forget that he has asked me to sing this song. And he got down for communion. He's going down to the congregation. And that's when he asked me to sing the song. And I thought he forgot. And he got down to the first step and he turned around. I was literally hiding behind my chair. And he nodded to me and he pointed to me to go over to this big ambo. It was like these, you had to go up this circular staircase to get up to the top of it. And that's where he said, in front of this microphone, I would sing this song. Now here's part of the problem. I didn't know the song. It's called the Tantum Ergo, and I didn't know it, and I didn't know it especially in Latin, which is what the cardinal wanted me to sing it in. I also have a problem that when I get very nervous, my voice goes way up, and it starts singing like in, in dog whistle type of uh, ranges, and so I was, I was really in trouble, and I, I didn't know what to do. I walked up to that ambo, Remember, this is the same ambo that over six, 760 years ago, this beautiful song written by a saint was first sung in historic occasion. 
I looked out at this huge, big cathedral to a large pilgrimage group full of all kinds of tourists, people walking around and just joining the mass, thinking something special was about ready to happen. I swallowed hard, and my brothers and sisters, I sang the worst version of the Tantu Mergo that had ever been sung in all of history. In fact, still today, it's a legend. You can go to Orvieto and you can ask them, what was the worst rendition of the Tantu Mergo? And they will say, oh, a long time ago, there was an American who got up and sang. It was bad. I, I, I didn't know anything. I started up too high and I was just making up Latin words. It, it, it sounded a little bit like this. It was like, Tantu Mergo Sacramento. It was bad. Anyway. anyway, anyway, all of this is to say that there was one line of the Tantum Ergo that I did remember, and that was Prestet Fides Supplementum Sensum Defectui, which roughly translated means this Faith readily supplies what the senses are unable to. I love that line. Faith readily supplies what the senses are unable to. What St. Thomas Aquinas was getting at, my friends, is that the miracle of Christ's true and real presence in the Eucharist is a hidden miracle. It is not something that we can perceive with our senses. Faith gives us a vision to see the miracle of the Eucharist when our eyes fail us. And this is at the heart of our Eucharistic theology. The host that we receive, it looks like bread. It tastes like bread. If you were to examine it under a microscope, it would look just like bread. These are the outward appearances or what we sometimes call the accidents of bread. But what we believe though, is that the substance is changed. The inner reality of bread is no more and now the substance. The essence, the truth of what this is, has been radically changed. It is no longer bread, but now is the real presence of Jesus Christ, as real as he was to his disciples as he walked in Galilee, is as real to us as he is in the hidden miracle of the Eucharist. This is why we use the word, fancy word, transubstantiation, to explain what's going on. The substance is transformed while the appearance stays the same. Okay, enough theology. What does this mean for us? Why is that even important? The people following Jesus are following him because he fed them with the miraculous multiplication of the loaves and because of his miracles and healing the sick. He wants them to follow him with their hearts, not with their stomachs and not with their eyes. The senses are defective. Jesus wants their faith. When they ask how to follow the commandments, Jesus replies, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one who he sent. Believe, have faith, trust in God. This is what Jesus desires above all else. This is what truly nourishes us. This is what sustains us when our senses fail us. It is why in Exodus, God tests the people with giving them manna from heaven. It had strict rules attached to it, if you listen close, that you shall not gather more than what you need for your daily bread. 
or it will rot or it will spoil. God is asking his people, Israel and us, do you trust me? Do you trust me that I will be there for you? Do you trust me even when you can't see me? Do you have faith in me? And we respond, of course we do, right? Well, it's easy to have faith when everything's going well, when we're well fed and we're seeing miracles all around us. It's easy to have faith in the real presence of Jesus Christ when the host bleeds on the altar. But what happens to our faith that Jesus is with us when we are the ones bleeding out on the altar? What about when we are hungry? What about when we are hurting and sad and overwhelmed? When we can't pay our bills? When we're facing eviction? When we are scared to go outside? Or when we are discriminated against because the color of our skin, the language we speak, where we are from, or our sexual orientation? When our senses are unable to see God truly present with us, where then do we turn? To our hidden Lord in the Eucharist. Because to see God of the universe, the real presence of Jesus in the host that we hold up on our altar, it's a vision test. It's training us to see a God who comes to us in hidden ways. If we truly believe in the Eucharist, the mystery that God is here is unlocked for us. Because if we believe in the Eucharist, it also means that no matter what you are going through, Jesus enters into it, through you, with you, and in you, in the most intimate way possible. If we have faith of God hidden in the Eucharist, then when we receive him from our altar, we have faith that God dwells in me, that he loves me, and that he comes to me in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my sufferings, in the midst of my joys and my praise. The Eucharist is enabling us to test ourselves, to see with eyes of faith. And this is why the church puts such an importance on it, puts such an emphasis on receiving him every Sunday or every day if you want. You got to get up early at St. Matthew's, 7 a.m., but you're welcome to join us. The point is that often our human senses are defective when it comes to faith. Sometimes we think we have faith, but it's just because we see miracles or experiencing blessings. When our senses fail to see these things, we fall back. We have to fall back onto a supernatural sense of faith and know that God still loves us. Not from what we see, but from what we feel in our hearts. Another reason why faith in the hidden presence of Jesus in the Eucharist is so important is that it changes how we see everything and everyone around us. With a Eucharistic vision, we don't just see a beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunset. We don't just enjoy the beauty of the earth or enjoy a beautiful day. We see behind it also something more that God is present to us, expressing his love for us. With a Eucharistic vision, we are able to see in ourselves and others as they truly are. Every human being that you and I have ever met will live forever. They have an immortal soul and they are in the image of God. Have we ever thought about that? There are no ordinary human beings. From the moment of conception until our death, we are all extraordinary in the eyes of God. 
who creates all things and has made each of us uniquely in God's image. And he desires to spend eternity to us with perfect joy. This is what we believe, but it is so often hidden. We look at ourselves and we only see imperfection. We see our sins, we see our mistakes. We compare ourselves to others. We judge ourselves so very harshly. We do the same thing to others. We see someone who is homeless, who has an illness, be it physical or mental, who is different from us. And we often fail to recognize God in them or in us. This is where our Eucharistic vision comes in. This is where our faith in the Eucharist reminds us of a truth that is hidden but is real, that God dwells in them and in me and everything. When someone converts or changes their lives, is baptized or confirmed, their physical appearance doesn't change, does it? But you better believe that fundamentally something is different about them. Something about who they are has been radically transformed. When someone walks into the confessional, burdened by sins, almost hopeless. They walk out physically the same person, but everything is radically different. They are now forgiven of their sins. They know that they are loved. They are given a fresh new start, and the gift of God's grace has been poured into their hearts. Everything is different. You see, what we believe about the Eucharist as Catholics, it requires faith. It requires great faith supernatural faith. It requires us to trust in God and his word above our own human senses. It tests us to see not just with our eyes, but with our heart and with our faith. And this fundamental vision of God, truly present and hidden in the Eucharist, changes much more than the host here on the altar. It changes us. It changes how we see ourselves. It changes how we see others. It changes how we see the whole world. There is nothing more important than this. For a Eucharistic faith in Jesus' real present in the Blessed Sacrament here at Blessed Sacrament Church is what teaches us, my brothers and sisters, to see that Jesus is really present in our world, in ourselves, and everywhere. When we are hurting, he is there. When we are happy, he is there. When, he, when we are going through anything, the Lord Jesus is present to us. And if we doubt it, we come back here to this altar. And we gaze on a humble host, a piece of bread. And we say, there is Jesus, really and truly present. Amen. Amen. Here's that line again, how it should have been sung so long ago in Orvieto. Prestet fide supplementum, sensum defectui. Alleluia, amen.